It's always great to see everybody mingling and getting to know one another and welcome to everybody that's visiting Monument Bible Church. And just as a reminder, in the side of the pews is our little um, register pad, you could say, or just if you could grab it, it's right next to you on the sides, fill it in. It's just so that we can know who's here and um, be able to shepherd well and uh, know how we can meet your needs or visit with you. And if anybody's missing on a Sunday, we would start to realize that too and come and see what's wrong. And as I've seen everybody gathered here this morning, I was thinking there in the pew that this verse in John chapter 6, verse 65, it says, And he was saying, Jesus was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The title of my sermon this morning is A Call To. And a call to what should be the question you should ask yourselves. You've gathered here today, and I hope most of you know Jesus as your personal Savior. A call to what? And I thought about that, what? It started to make me think a lot of us actually do know what. Deep down inside, we sense that inner voice, that still small whisper. That nudging of our heart. Everybody can sense that. So why are you here this morning? Why has God called you here this morning? Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts as we look into this story of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that we would be able to uh, glean from this. Make us stronger bold, brave, and courageous. Help us to know that you are our strength. You are the God of the impossible. Speak through me, Lord. Help people get to know you in a deeper and more personal way. Become passionate for the word of God and to reach those that they mingle with, that their neighbors are lost near them, that they can be brave and go and take the truth to them. So, Lord, we ask that these scriptures would speak deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, we're going to be looking through this chapter. In chapters 1 and 2 of this gospel, Luke recorded the birth accounts of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. As chapter 3 opens, 18 years have passed since the historical event recorded in Luke, the story of the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. We looked at that in chapter 2, verses 41 and 51. And we remember there, there was Jesus sitting in the temple with those religious leaders at that time. And they were amazed at his questions, his wisdom, his understanding. And yet, they did not recognize who he was. Anna and Simeon did when he was a little baby. The public ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus are about to begin. For 30 years, each had lived in seclusion. John lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Jesus lived in Nazareth, where he continued in subjection to his parents. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 51. I just want to stop there and say to all parents, please, consider this. This is a privilege that you have if you have children. Use this wisely. 
Bring up your children according to the word of God. Take care of them. And children, follow Jesus' example because in the word of God, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The beginning of John the Baptist's public ministry would also mark the end of an even longer silence. Four centuries of prophetic silence since the time of the last prophet, Malachi, which was about 430 B.C. But as I got to this point, as you know, I'm reading through the Bible, and those that are also doing that, it just reminded me of Moses. He spent 40 years in the desert, tending the sheep. Probably guilt-ridden for what he did to the Egyptian soldier. And then the Lord calls him out to lead Israel, who has been in 400 years of slavery to the king of, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Israel was really in the bleakest times, politically, religiously too, and the nation was under oppressive rule. Israel, God's covenant nation, is now part of a minor province in a mighty Roman Empire. It was the darkest times for them. Religion dominated by corrupt, wicked spiritual leaders, Israel did not know or seem to understand what the word of God said. They had not realized the promises of the Abraham and Davidic covenant. They did not possess the promised land. They immersed in illegalism, external ritual, and the nation also failed to experience the new covenant blessings promised in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 37. Years earlier, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, prophesied concerning John, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare his way. John the Baptist, the first prophet for more than 400 years, appeared on stage to introduce the main character of the story, Jesus Christ. What a responsibility this man has. I see John has two tasks here as we go through this chapter. To prepare the people for the Messiah. To present the Messiah to the people. It made me think about all of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We know the truth. We know the story. We know what God is going to do. What are we doing with this knowledge? What are we doing with the people around us? What is our call? What is your call? Chapter 3 opens with an historical setting. Luke includes seven individuals, five Gentiles and two Jews, in providing the background for this ministry of John and Jesus. Look with me at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, if you'd follow along with me in your Bibles. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetriarch of the region of Ilturia, and Trachonitis and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. John and Jesus started their ministry with seven men having authority over people, the villains of the story. 
Two of these men, the two Jewish high priests, do not hear from God. The word of God, it says, came to John, not to the high priests. Now the four of these, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Ananus, Caiaphas, will play an important part as we go on through the book of Luke in the Lord's life, ministry, and his death. These four symbolize moral, spiritual darkness that Jesus, the light of the world, came to expose and to drive out. Luke also describes John the Baptist's location in the wilderness. John's ministry begins in the wilderness along the Jordan River. The forerunner of the Messiah starts his ministry in the wilderness, not in a temple, not in Jerusalem, but in the wilderness. This desolate, barren, it is harsh, it's unforgiving terrain, and it's an environment that John the Baptist has grown up to manhood. The word of God came to John. Think about that. Was it a still, small voice? Was it that whisper? But what is important here is to observe John the Baptist is obedient and steps out in faith to fulfill his calling, his purpose. Take a look at the picture on the screen there of what they kind of picture John the Baptist looks like. Here is a man that's not grown up in the city. He's in the wilderness and God calls him now to speak to his people. John's location then his placement to start his ministry reveals to me a sense of a humble-spirited, servant-hearted man. He did not go off to the mega church or the, the temple in Jerusalem. He took his position in the humblest of circumstances. And once again, as we look in, if you're reading through the Bible, you see how God is picking these ordinary men to do extraordinary things with his power. As I'm reading through the Bible again, God brings, is showing me how God is bringing, him, bringing, Egypt, bringing Israel out of Egypt. Sorry, And God calls Moses out of the wilderness, 40 years there in the desert, and sends him to redeem his people out of slavery. God then has them spend time in the wilderness, in the desert, before entering the promised land. Why? Why does God do this? As I thought about it more and more, it reminded me of when the Lord called me here. I came here for one year to study down in LaGrange. It keeps me there for four years. Middle of nowhere, he has this Bible school preparing men and women. God is teaching us. He's preparing to trust him, to be dependent on him. Things I have learned over the past four years is, is beyond what I learned in all the years I've walked with the Lord. Where does God have you now? What is his call on you? Moses and John the Baptist, both in the wilderness, called out. They're ready. When the people finally were ready in Moses' time, Israel had to cross the Jordan with Joshua. You see, because when the people got to the Jordan in the first time, they did not have the faith. They did not believe God could take them and possess the promised land. They lacked faith. And when you're reading through this up to this point, you, you, you get frustrated. You cannot believe they could have any doubt in what God is possible. He can do in your life. 
So he punished them. He sent them back to the wilderness and they died there until the next generation came up. So can you imagine the next generation? They were listening to the stories of what God did in Egypt with Pharaoh and then how he parted the Red Sea. Is it just a story to you as well? Read this. When you're in this, get there, be there. What God is doing with the people of Israel and getting them out of Egypt is phenomenal. It's huge. And then look what he does here. When they get to the Jordan, Joshua is going to take them across. And the Jordan at this time is in flood. And God parts the Jordan for them to cross over. Could you imagine the faces of that new generation? Wow, this is what grandma and grandpa told me that they did in the Red Sea. Huge, epic stuff. And here we are. We have John the Baptist in this Jordan area. But despite the wonders, people still lose their faith. They lack faith and trust. The Jordan has a huge significance here. Look with me at verse 3 of Luke chapter 3. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. John's message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was associated with the repentance. That is, it's an outwardly picture and an inward change of the heart. Another person put it this way. A, visible, a, a baptism is a visible, physical act that demonstrates an invisible, spiritual fact. I'll say that again. A visible, physical act that demonstrates an invisible, spiritual fact. God summoned them to turn, repent from sin, and enter a spiritual kingdom. In chapter 13 of Luke, we will see that Jesus comes back to this repentance word again. But let's look at Matthew's description of John the Baptist that we have on the screen there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, he describes John like this. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Locusts and wild honey. Take a look at that man on the screen there. And by the way, next Sunday, the 2nd of February, uh, Cadence, this young man in the front here, is asked to be baptized. So we're going to baptize him after the second service. And if there's anybody else that would like to be baptized next Sunday, please come and see me. And we'd love to include you in that. And I promise I won't come dressed like him in camel hair and sandals. So here we are with John the Baptist in the wilderness, baptizing and preparing the hearts to receive the Messiah and then to present Jesus Christ to them. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine John the Baptist is going to touch Jesus Christ? He's going to lower him in the water. Wow. And then the hearing of his father's voice. Just imagine, let yourself go there. This is just a man in the wilderness. And he's calling him out to a huge responsibility. What is he calling you out to? When you see this guy and where he's been and now, he comes faithful, brave. God wants to do the same with all of us. And then he's going to present Jesus Christ to them. 
Do you think he possibly knew that? As I read this, I don't think so. Can you imagine he's doing what God has called him to do and then he's going to see Jesus coming? Can you imagine his position of seeing Jesus Christ coming down? John's message of baptism, of repentance and forgiveness should make us really think about what is God instructing John to proclaim here? It's God's words, the good news. And this alone provides hope to this world at this time and hope for us too. Israel desperately needed to hear John's call to repentance. Israel was in legalistic religion and they believed they could gain a relationship with God by these external efforts, these rituals. They were focusing on the external behavior instead of the heart attitude. They were foolish. They were building their house on the sand where they would be washed away by the flood of divine judgment. God is calling people to humble themselves, mourning their sin, trusting that the Lord Jesus would be able to forgive them. You have to believe to be able to receive John's preaching offered a hope of forgiveness of sins. You see, the Jewish people here were caught up in a system of works. They were taught that salvation came by keeping the law, observing the traditions, and performing these rituals. And as you're going through the Bible, you will see these rituals, what was required of them, these sacrifices. But deep down, the people were realizing that what they were doing was not changing anything in their lives, or the lives of the people around them, or their family, or their children. In fact, it just gets worse. As you continue to read it, their life, as they walk further away from God, gets worse. It was now a heavy burden of guilt on them. The Jewish religious leaders were to blame for all of this. The people did not know the biblical truth either. That salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Are you experiencing God and encouraging Him now? Are you sensing your life changing in this beginning of this new year? As you are taking yourself through your walk through the Bible, are you experiencing Him changing your daily walk? Or is it just the same as last year? In Acts chapter 15 verse 10, Peter says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. It is frustrating sometimes when you're reading about the Jewish people and how they were not searching the word of God to know the truth for themselves. And it made me think about that as I, was, as I read this story in the beginning of the Bible and what they're doing and all that they see and then they start grumbling and murmuring and picking on Moses and they don't. Get on their knees and pray. God is after the people. But is, are we in the word? Are we all in the word? Are we understanding the biblical truths? Asking the, the questions. In Jeremiah 31, 34, God declares, I will forgive the, their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. God is by nature a forgiving God. The Lord describes himself to Moses as, one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Moses characterized God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions. And Nehemiah, 
in chapter 9 says, But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, as you did not forsake them. And I love in Proverbs 103, he expresses the magnitude of God's forgiveness when he declared, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed the transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Those who fear him. How do you know how to fear God? Should you fear God? In a reverent, respectful, honoring way, yes. When you're reading this story, the Bible, what he has recorded, the history of what's taken place, what he did to Pharaoh, what he's capable of doing, the power that he has, you get to understand what he's talking about. How do you come before God? Isaiah said he pictured God's forgiveness as washing sins so thoroughly that they are white as snow or wool. Let's look again at Luke verses 4 and 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled. And every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight. And the rough roads smooth. And all the flesh will see the salvation of God. This was written in by the prophet Isaiah seven centuries before John the Baptist. God is going to do what he has recorded here. There's still more to come. John the Baptist proclaimed God's forgiveness. His message offered hope to the people who were staggering under the weight of sin and guilt. He was speaking the truth and people came to the wilderness to hear this prophet and his penetrating message. People will listen to you if you know what you're talking about. If you share the word of God, they will listen. You will. They will come. You will make a change in their lives if you talk about your passion for Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Today we are preaching the same message to the world that is staggering with deception of sin. It is very deceptive. Sin today is packaged and delivered secretly into our homes, into our minds, through the media, the internet, the materialism. These things are pulling you away from your journey with the Lord through His Word. I'm too busy. You have no idea. How busy I am. My business has has got me so tied up. I don't have any time. But I have time for TV. I have time to do other things, but not to journey with God through through His Word. You have to be careful. This deception is powerful and strong. Are you feeling heavy laden this morning? Maybe you should look at changing your ways, changing your attitude, changing your unbelief in Jesus Christ, changing your unbelief in what you're reading about, that God is the impossible. God is the God of the impossible. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 14, it says, For this I will send all my plagues on you and you on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is No one like me in all the earth. This is the God who you serve and worship here this morning. 
Forgiveness comes only to those who acknowledge and turn from their sins. We see John is proclaiming the need for repentance, the need for change, to return to the Lord. How is your walk, your spiritual walk with God? Are you seeing changes in your life, in your family, and in your friends? Are you getting more and more passionate? In Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 8, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. What do you dwell on? What are you thinking about? And let them and let him return to the Lord. Do you need a return to the Lord today? And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love this verse 8 here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Get to know him in the word of God. What does he want? Ezekiel chapter 18 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions and that iniquity may not become a stumbling block for you. What is causing you to stumble in your faith? Cast away from all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore repent and live. Do you know when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, His Spirit dwells you. He's not dead. He is very much alive. And he wants to work through you. And that's where you see the most amazing things happen. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 1. Turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. From the wrath to come. There is a wrath coming. If you're at a point today thinking that you are so tired of the way things seem to turn out, things just go wrong all the time, life is overwhelming, you feel heavy burdened, now's the time to make a change, to repent. Turn to the Lord. Tell Him that you are saddened by your sin and sincerely wanting to change the way you are living. This is a heart attitude. This is a a real personal situation between you and God. You sincerely want to change the way you're living and tired of hurting and hurting those around you. The news I got this week of something that took place, I couldn't believe it. God is waiting for you to confess from your heart and if you do this, you will experience God's forgiveness and a new life. In repentance, sinners recognize their dire condition and realize that they are unable to save themselves from what they're caught up in. And that is true. If you're into all bad stuff, porn, drugs, alcohol, whatever you're caught up in, you need Jesus Christ to get you out of it. He can. He will. He is the God of the impossible. And desperately you want to change? You have to want to change your ways. You have to want to change your attitude. Change the way you think. Change the way you believe. These three changes are important to bring about 
you on your knees and praying to the one who can save you, can change the mess you're in, the life that you're living without him. I looked for how Paul brings about this word repentance, the essence of repentance. And in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, he says, Now I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing? What are you feeling? What is your call on your heart now? You were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. If you're caught up in what the world is offering, it's not a good place to be. Verse 11 says, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves what indication, indignation, sorry, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrate yourselves to be innocent in the matter. I thought about uh, those words. We were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. According to the will of God. That is, they viewed, or are you viewing your sin? As God would view it. Do you know what upsets God? What makes him angry? And also notice the series of words here. And I found John MacArthur break these down. Earnestness. An eager pursuit of righteousness. Vindication. Describes the desire to clear one's name of the stigma attached to sin. Indignation. His righteous anger at the dishonor sin brings to God's holy name. Fear. Of God's just judgment on sin. Longing to have one's relationship with him restored. Zeal. A passionate desire for righteousness that causes sinners to long to see justice done. Powerful words. You see, God's word, if you're in God's word, daily, regularly. God's word helps you unlock your life. It opens the door. To trust him and let him in. To give you a greater purpose than you are living right now. When I'm reading the word of God, he is pointing out things about me. About what's going on. He also shows me how the word of God is so powerful in other people's lives that come to see me. It's amazing how what I read in the morning, it stands out right there and then for someone's situation and circumstance that they're facing. God's word helps you unlock the door to your life. But you need to be reading it. You see, God is standing right next to you this morning, knocking. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Is God knocking at your door? Are you sorrowful? Repent. Change now. Invite Jesus into your life. He will forgive you because he loves you. And you, real, and you need to realize, what is this all about? It's about what has been done for you. 
That's what it's about. And will you accept that? Warren Worsby says, Without conviction, there can be no conversion. Let's look at verse 7 of Luke. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Ab- to Abraham. We have Abraham for our father. How mixed up is that comment? John's teaching was that one's life proves whether or not he has truly repented. Does your life show that? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This change that you want to make, and you do, and I hope you do, you've got to see the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to see God, not only changing you, but working through you to change the lives of your friends, your family, and neighbors. You brood of vipers. Wow, he's throwing the punches here with people who have power at that time. John is saying, let's see your fruit, the life of the living God in your life. That's what we all need to be seeing. What are we doing with the gift of life? What are we doing? And we know what's coming as well. There is a wrath. You don't want to, you don't want to leave people behind with this. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says, John challenged the people to bring forth fruit as an indication of their belief. You see, somewhere still thinking today still happens that by being baptized, it ensures salvation. That's wrong. And John was alerting them to the stark realities of life. One must face the fact that wrath was coming and is still coming for those that refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That wrath is real. And we have the truth. We can help them. Change, repent, turn. Look, at me, look with me at verse 9. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John reminds them that God gets to the root of all things. He knows what you're up to. And is not impressed with religious profession that does not produce fruit. fruit. John chapter 15 Verses 4 and 6 keeps me going, keeps reminding me. I abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they are gathered, they gather them and cast into the fire and they are burned. I said to Dean when he visited me the other day, I took this mirror and I said, so what do you see when you look into a mirror? You should see him looking at you, looking at him. When you read this, I abide in you. What are you looking at? God's got a work to do through you. He's looking at you, looking at Him. We all have the Word of God. 
What is expected of you? What is your call? Are you called out to what? John takes the name teacher in verse 12. Let's look through 10 through 14. It says, and the crowds were questioning him saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, what shall And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. He's teaching them. He's encouraging them, helping them to think how to live out their life. John was faithful. Verse 15, Now while the people were in the state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them, verse 16, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's John's baptism with water. The Messiah baptized you with the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, the fulfillment of baptizing with the Spirit we've seen in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But what really stood out to me this week was baptizing with fire refers to the purifying work of judgment that the Messiah will accomplish. In view of the work of judgment described in the next verse, let's look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand and thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat, the believers, into his barn. But he will burn the chaff. Sinners. With unquenchable fire. What's your call? You're called to what? Are you the wheat or the chaff this morning? Those that are the wheat, are we fulfilling our God-given assignment in preparing people? To be ready for when Jesus returns for his saints, the believers. The Son of God keeps his promises. If we don't, look what's going to happen. Verse 18, it says, So many other exhortations he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. He even went right up to the top. He is not fearful of man, but fearful of God. He is doing what he is called out to do. What a man. What are we? What is your call? Are we preaching the gospel? Verse 18, so many other exhortations. He preached the gospel to the people. We're getting equipped, we're getting knowledge, understanding, wisdom here. We open those doors, we've got to go to the people. Can you imagine this? We've been following Jesus' birth over Christmas and a child. Now he's a man back to be baptized like we can be. For me, this is so indescribable, so intense. 
as I'm reading through the Bible, journeying with God and his people through the Exodus. It's just incredible. And now I'm reading here, after reading all of God's wonders and miracles that he did for his people in Exodus, and now we have the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, his unconditional love for us. And John the Baptist baptizes him. Incredible story of obedience, discipline, preaching the word, taking the gospel to the people. We know what's coming. That's what makes it so hard for me. Are we praying, God, use me today. Help me deal with my boss. Help me deal with these people. Help me deal with these strangers. Because they have no idea what's coming, but I do. Verse 23, it says there, we, When he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. And then from 23 to 38, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And all these names that you read in this part, you will come across if you're reading through the Old Testament. They have actually more meaning to you, these people. If you read through the Bible, you'll understand what's going on. And God's promises just keep hitting you. Are you feeling called? A called to a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins? God's word helps you unlock the door to your life. To trust Jesus and let him in. To give you a greater purpose than you are living now. And God is standing right next to you today, knocking, waiting for you to invite him in. Let's pray. Father, as you have had this song playing twice on a Sunday now, it makes me think how important those words are in the chorus. And as Pastor Jake gave that application of taking that step, changing the mind, Lord, help us to change our ways, change our attitude, change our heart. Help us to step out to a call that you are making clear in the word of God and what you want us to do. Please, Father, help us that we, through your spirit lead us where our trust is without borders. Let us walk upon the waters wherever you would call us. Take us deeper than our feet could ever wander, and our faith will be made stronger by this, as you've shown with Moses and John the Baptist there, waiting to be called out. Their faith is strong. As we call upon your name, Lord, please change our lives, change our heart. Help us to step out with boldness and faith. In the name of Jesus, amen.